Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on t- today's podcast is my good friend, Jonathan Rogers. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Thanks, Richard. Um, Jonathan and I have been trading messages and interacting for several years as we're both um, LGBTQ allies. And by way of introduction, John is um, Jonathan is 32 years old. He lives in Canton, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes north of Atlanta. He has been married nine years. Jonathan and his wife have two kids. He professionally, he's um, consulting in the IT world. He's active LDS. Um, Jonathan is in a lot of spaces trying to do good. Um, he is the moderator, one of the moderators of the Facebook group, Mormons Building Bridges. He is really good at trying to hold space for everybody. He has people that he's deeply close with and loves and supports that are active in the church, people that are sort of trying to figure out the church, people that have left the church, and probably people that are angry at the church. And Jonathan is one of those courageous people that is trying to create space and hear stories and and be friends to all these people. And I think that's what Christ was really good at also. That's not easy to do, to be in all those circles. Um, and our joint prayers, as Jonathan speaks, that everything he shares, whatever circle you listeners are in, are things that will help you find hope and peace and healing and to come together as the same human family. Is that okay for an introduction, Jonathan? Absolutely. Thanks, Richard. Um, well, I'll let, you know, a lot of, will you introduce the kind of the general themes you'd like to talk about just to enter or anything else you'd like to say in introduction before we get into what you'd like to share? Uh, absolutely. So was thinking, how can I kind of cover different aspects of my life um, in a way that, that focuses on, you know, how can we help people in, in the church and in society? Um just based on my, my own experiences. Um, the three kind of general themes um, that I kind of put together somewhat last minute after looking at everything um, were how can we better understand feelings and needs, um, really honoring people's faith journeys, and then really celebrating and kind of focusing on queer wholeness. And those three kind of general topic areas, um, I'd like to kind of share different aspects of my own life um, and why why they're important to me. I love those three themes, Jonathan. Um, understanding feelings and needs, faith journeys, and queer holdness. And so um, I'll, I, that's a great introduction, listeners. I'll just turn it over to you, Jonathan, to start. All right. Well, um, so thinking about feelings and needs, um, I read a, a great book. It's called Nonviolent Communication um, by, I think it's Marshall Rosenberg. And uh, Richard, you actually implement a lot of nonviolent communication, which is it's really great. It was really cool having that kind of light bulb moment. Um, in the book, he talks about how all of us as human beings, when we share our feelings um, outwardly, it's in a response to a need that's either been met or not met. And so when people have joy and, and happiness, when they are, when they feel loved, when they um, are energetic and excited, usually there's a, the, the needs are being met. 
um, when people feel shame or sadness, depression, loneliness, um, these are feelings that are expressed when needs are not met. And when we're able to understand that, um, and we're able to try to listen to what people are saying, whether they are saying things in a kind way or saying things in a way that may not be feel kind to us, we can hear behind what they're what they're saying or expressing, and then hearing the actual need behind it that's either being met or not met. And I would like this kind of conversation to be at the core of my journey and the core of how we can better help people in the church and in society. Um, I know that there's a lot of voices in the church that, that are saying, you know, these are the end of times and things aren't going well and there's so much wickedness in the world. And um, if we all were able to look at people and understand what needs are not being met in their lives that are causing them to feel fear and anger um, and this desire that, you know, whatever's going on in their lives, we can then have compassion and empathy for where they're at in their lives. Um, and so that I'll probably bring up some of these feelings and needs throughout kind of the podcast. But um, I think that's an important thing to understand um, when you're in an allyship space, when you're in the church, when you're at work and someone is really upset at work, um, when you're trying to care for your kids at home and they're upset and they're they're lashing out at you. Um, it can be really hard to pause for a minute and and think. I think it's uh, uh what's the um the halt principle? I don't know if you've heard of the halt principle. No. Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Or are you tired? You know, all of the halt principle is saying halt for a second to take the time to understand what what are the needs that are not being met about of your child right now that that are unsaid right now. Just you're just basing on their uh, body language. So anyway, that's kind of like a, a, an underlying theme I'd like to, to have. Um, but I guess I, I, I know no one on the podcast knows anything about me a whole lot. So I'll do like just a quick background and, and kind of leading into that. So um, I'm the youngest of seven kids. Um, I was born in Boise, Idaho. And um, my, my, uh, I don't really remember much from Idaho. I don't really remember much growing up until my earliest memories are about when I was five, five years old. Um, by that, by that point, uh, my father and mother, um, had divorced. Um, but all of my siblings, uh, were raised in the church. I was raised in the church. Um, my parents are both very faithful, active members of the church. Um, they, they have some of the strongest testimonies I've, I've ever known in my entire life. Um, I grew up having a lot of faith in the church, a lot of faith in Christ. Um, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to put anyone down or make anyone on the podcast that's listening feel less than, but I do want, I think a lot of people resonate with this, that, um, it is, it can be very difficult when you grow up having a, a faith that's being taught to have faith so strongly that it really is more of having certainty. Um, I grew up believing that if I really just had enough faith, I can move mountains. And I'm not saying that anyone that believes that is wrong, 
but I am saying that I may have believed it to an unhealthy level um, where I don't know if you remember Matilda where, you know, she uses her eyes and she can move the Cheerios across the table and then the books flying and everything. I do. That was, that was me, Richard. Like that was what I believed I could do. Um, and when you have the faith of a mustard seed and you think you can move mountains or you can move Cheerios, but then you're not able to, you can feel or start creating this kind of, um, unfaithfulness complex or this kind of, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing, I'm not worthy enough to be able to do those things. So I grew up with very faithful parents, very strong testimony in the gospel. Um, but I was also taught that if you just have enough faith, anything can, you would accomplish anything. And so if you ever have rough patches in your life, it's, it's probably because you're not doing something good enough. And that leads into a lot of the other topics that I'll kind of bleed into as well. Um, so anyway, um, my earliest memories were when I was five, um, normal growing up period. Um, I think I mentioned to you that, um, my, my dad remarried, um, and he and my stepmom, when I was about six years old, they adopted three kids from Russia. Um, and then about a year or two later, they adopted two more kids. Um, so I had five, you know, I, I had, I had six siblings. Um, his, his, my stepmom had six siblings or six kids of her own, and then they adopted five kids. So wow. I was, it was, it was a lot. Um, wow. now all of their kids were pretty much grown up and out of the house, except for me. So I kind of became the oldest of the five. Um, and it was, it was a, it was a journey that was a very difficult moment. Um, but I really, I appreciate what they did and their love for my siblings. Um, and so where I, I kind of want to get into a, a topic around feelings and needs that, that is kind of difficult, um, that I think a lot of, um, it's, I haven't told really many people this, this story, and I know you read a little bit about this, um, but I think it's important to understand. So my entire life, I have struggled with, um, having kind of a hyper sexual drive, sex drive. Um, and it is, it's been something that has haunted me pretty much my entire life. Um, when I was living in Utah with my mom, when I was about nine years old, um, that was when I first started having sexual drives, sexual urges. Um, and I didn't really understand what was going on. I, all I know is it, it felt good. It was an, I was just trying to understand about this. I didn't tell anyone. I was, it was something that was very private, very kind of embarrassing to tell, to tell anyone. Um, but it was something that, that didn't go away. And it was something that didn't, you know, lighten up at all. You know, I'm nine years old. Um, so I, when I was about 10, um, so uh, let me back up a little bit. So I, I was living with my mom when I was nine. Um, I was living with her for a year uh, in Utah. My, my dad and my stepmom were living in California um, with my five Russian siblings. And when I um, went back home to go live with my, my dad and my stepmom and my five, my five siblings, um, I was still dealing with my, my sexual urges. Um, and one night when I was um, 
with my my family. Um, I, w- I was sleeping in a bunk bed with my um, with one my five year old sibling, and in the middle of the night, I had an urge to, or I had a thought: Why don't I climb on top of him and basically rub against him? And I understand that's probably really hard for a lot of listeners, um, especially those that have had um, sexual abuse uh, situations or have just, I, I understand that anything around this topic could be sensitive. Um, so I, I did do what my thought was my, my brother and I were fully clothed. He was, um, under the blanket. Um, and I thought he was asleep and I, I don't know if there's anything I can really say for listeners or others to understand that as a nine, almost maybe 10 year old boy, I was just having just thoughts of this is something that feels good. It was, I had no other intentions or anything, but that's, that's not necessarily the point. I understand the wrongness of what happened, but I didn't really have any understanding of consent or, um, of boundaries of, of how to take care of things myself or anything like that. Um, so the next morning I, we woke up, my, my brother had, um, mentioned to my parents about what happened and I was starting to panic. I didn't really know what this meant or what was going to happen. Um, and, um, something that's important to understand that I, I didn't mention before. Um, one of my oldest brothers has been in prison for most of his life, um, because he had molested a a child when he was in his teenage years, you know, my brother had also been molested when he was younger. Um, I didn't really understand any of that when I was nine or 10. I just knew that he was in prison. I kind of knew a little bit about what happened, but I didn't really know much about it. As far as I know, I'd never been molested or nothing has happened to me, but it, for the listeners to understand, you could imagine my parents probably freaked out pretty, pretty bad. Um, my dad probably had traumatic experiences from this thinking, oh no, another one of my children are going to go through this horrible experience. Not only of my young, not only my younger brother, but, but me, what, what does this mean? What do we do? And, and they put me into therapy. Um, and for the first time in my life, I was hearing words like erection, orgasm, ejaculation. I, I didn't know what any of these words meant. So my, you know, I'm, I'm a 10 year old boy talking to an adult and he's like, do you, did you ejaculate? And I, I don't even know what you're talking. I don't even know what that means. Right. right. Um, where I want the listeners to understand is that this was the beginning of the point in my life where anything sexual became a very nasty, awful thing a demon that needed to be put away that this side of myself needed to be contained needed to be shunned needed to be whatever it took to overcome to to minimize it needed to go away and i felt like a monster wow um i I had found out later that my parents went and told all of my siblings because they were trying to understand maybe what had happened. Maybe when I was living with my mom, did something happen that they weren't aware of? Um, 
So now all of my siblings knew it wasn't just something that was private that happened to me. Like, and so now all my siblings knew. And I think there was a period of time where I wasn't allowed some, I wasn't allowed around um, some of like, I, I, I wasn't around. Um, it, it was just a very uncomfortable period of my life. Um, my dad and I eventually moved to Arizona. And I think that was for a period of time. One, he was working there, but two, it gave me an opportunity or they wanted me to have an opportunity to be kind of separated from my siblings and to work through my therapy and everything. Um, but it was kind of like separating me. It's like, I realized what I'd done was wrong, but it was like, I can't even be around anyone else. It was a very uncomfortable thing for me. So this was kind of the beginnings of my sexuality as a nine or 10 year old. And now it's already been like completely tainted. Um, obviously it's so going back to like the feelings and needs, I, I want to take a step back and say, do you, does anyone on the podcast have a child right now that does something and they do something even so horrible or so, so unbelievable that your first knee jerk reaction is to be like, why did you do that? That's wrong. That's horrible. We don't do that. And instead take a minute to even understand what are they, what are they feeling right now? What are, what are their needs right now? What's going on in their, in their hearts and their minds? What, what's going on and trying to get to kind of that, that core of who they are. Um, because when you can understand that, then more, we don't villainize people. We don't, um, we don't dehumanize them. We don't, we're able to kind of see the, the human being behind what's going on. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not here to, to minimize um, sexual abuse in any way. That, that is not what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm just trying to say from the perspective of taking the time to, to understand, seek first to understand. It's really um, courageous of you. You could have just talked about this theoretically, and, but you've chosen to talk about this with your own experience which is really courageous and vulnerable. and But then it, it provides a teaching moment um, because I think we recognize you were nine or 10 and there was no education. Um, there was no understanding you. And this experience then created this trauma for you. You're not excusing the experience, but you're also trying to help us understand your nine and 10. And, um, and, a, a teaching moment for parents and for others to stop a little bit, try to understand the context and to, to your point, understand the needs and feelings. So that's on behalf of our listeners. Thanks for being so courageous to share um, the application of this so that we can understand. Absolutely. Thanks Richard. Um, so I know I spent a lot of time on that, um, but that kind of, leads into some of the challenges in my growing up years. Um, so obviously I started dealing with, um, over time, dealing with masturbation, dealing with worthiness interviews, um, when I received the priesthood, um, and growing up there were, it was cycles and cycles of going and talking to the Bishop. I, um, I think this is where I think you use the term scrupulosity where kind of religious OCD sort of kind of kicking in of 
if I just pray enough, if I just read enough scriptures, if I just do the right things, then, then this will go away. This will not, um, this will not be something that I have to deal with. Um, and I would go and confess to the Bishop for the smallest things, things that I didn't need to go talk to the Bishop about. Um, one of my bishops called me the canary in the coal mine because I, <laughs> I was showing up and sharing things that just didn't even need to be shared. But, um, but this didn't go away, Richard. This, it pretty much got worse as I got older. Um, it got worse as, you know, pornography became something that was accessible, um, starting to date girls, um, and just everything that goes around all of that. Um, when I was, when I was growing up, I gained a profound faith in the church. I gained a testimony from reading the Book of Mormon for the first time when I was 14, taking President Hinckley's challenge. Um, I wanted so badly to serve a mission. And for my, my parents, serving a mission is like the golden thing. If you, you, got, if you, got on, if you served a mission, like you've, you've made it. You've, I'm so proud of you. You've done everything. And I was, I was the last child. So there was a lot like, you know, a lot of pressure that, to go, to go serve a mission. And every bishop that I talked to, you know, you have to be able to not masturbate for, what was it, one or two months or whatever at the period to be able to go, to be able to put in your papers. And so that was like my goal. Can I go two months without, without doing anything? And that I, I could never achieve that in high school. I could never. Um, and I'm talking about when I would use the term messing up twice a week at times or more. Right. And, and I just want your list, the listener to understand, like when I was growing up, I had so much shame around this. I, this I had cycles and cycles of beating myself up when this was just a normal human need. So our, our sexual desire, our the way our bodies function, I mean, for kids, it can be as, as natural and normal to want this as eating food. But we put so much shame around it and so much negativity around it. And I just wish I had not beat myself up so much growing up. And um, this kind of led to me not really getting to go on a mission. Um, there was a lot of challenges around that. Um, I, I'll... I do want to bring up the fact that um, when I was um, when I was 19, I lived, I went, I moved out to live with my my sister, and this was kind of my last ditch effort. Or I was about 18, my last ditch effort to go on a mission, and I kind of decided I'm going to like really just digest, preach my gospel, digest the scriptures, digest everything. Um, when I got out to Utah, I found out that the bishops had talked to each other and one my bishop that was in Georgia had shared with my bishop out in Utah um basically everything that I have gone through um including a more severe sexual sin at the time um and that was really heartbreaking because I thought that repentance and the atonement was supposed to wash wash us clean and we have kind of a fresh start and that was kind of my first sign that this is going to follow me wherever I go. This is never going to go away. Wow. And uh, the bishop that was in Utah, he may have been a newer bishop, but he, he put the hammer down 
um, he wouldn't let me take the sacrament for an entire month from one from messing up one time. And I felt like I, I'm never going to get out of this. This is this is going to be my life for the rest of my life. So there was just so much shame around this. Um, I, I want you to know, Richard, just in general, that I I've carried this cyclical shame my entire life up till about two years ago. Um, one of the podcasts he did with Joe and then Amy Pearson. Um, Joe shared something that was that was profound for me and um, his experience that he had. But also when he said that, you know, our worth is set and everything else is just an experience. When I had that realization that my worth will never change in the eyes of God or anyone else, that I am worth it. And that everything else is just part of life that changed everything. And I've let go of all that shame. I've let go. Uh, I, I, I take care of my needs. If I need to take care of things, there's no shame. There's no negativity there. Um, but that's just one aspect of, of my life. That's been really challenging. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk around feelings and needs for youth or other young adults. I know you, you deal with, you work with young single adults, but that's just one area of feelings and needs that I think is kind of important um, to talk through. I just think there's probably a lot of listeners that resonate with your story, Jonathan, that you're giving them hope and healing and tools to navigate things they're feeling and what they're working through. And and I'm sure you at 32 could go back and give your teenage self a lot more love and support. And that's what you're kind of doing now for other listeners. Um, just that your worth is set. I do love that from Joe and Amy Pearson. Everything else is experience. And to give, I think God is much more loving and kind to us than we are to ourselves. And I mourn that we didn't have better tools to help you feel better during these years. Um, yeah, I think we all agree that there's no there's no sort of debating I was messing up, but it's just the approach to that that is often, you know, I think shame is is not helpful and and hope is helpful and just feeling we're on a journey and we're all learning the best we can and doing the best we can and and I think you'd go back and give yourself a lot of self-love right now for your younger self and you're doing that in this podcast for others. Shame yeah. says I am bad versus I did something bad. And, um, you know, listeners, I've talked about masturbation before a little bit. I, as a YSA bishop, I'd get YSAs and I recognized that they had a range of feelings about this from it, you know, it would, and it's partly because we never communicate clearly and consistently to young people about how serious the sin masturbation is. So depending on your personality type, you may internalize this and just go down a spiral of shame and self-loathing and hate and just yep. feeling you're outside of God's love. And Satan doesn't win when you mess up. He wins if he can separate you from the love of God or the love of yourself. And so I told the YSAs on a one to 10 scale with 10 being the worst sexual sin you could commit. This was like a two. Um, that doesn't really show up in the handbook, except the handbook doesn't list this as a serious sin. So that's the only guidance I had as a YSA bishop is it's not a serious sin. And um, I sort of put it in the two category with 10 being the worst and one being the least serious. And I felt pretty comfortable with that. And as long as they were doing the best they can. So that's just the way I frame it up, listeners. And I admire Jonathan being open because that takes takes the shame out and gives other people hope and healing. 
Richard, can I share a, one other thought on, on this? Sure. If I could go back and change anything, or if I could change anything today, it would be, um, uh, there, there's a quote by Zandra Vrains um, that I, I really loved. And, and she said that um, God is always found in spaces where good intent and actual impact align. And Richard, if, if we could treat every young person in the church and just see their heart and their intent to do good, if they have desire to do good, they are called to the work. If that is the only measure that we measure anybody by, by their desire to do good, the good impact that they make in people's lives, if we were able to kind of stay out of their, their private needs, and just see that they want to help people, whether it's helping people come to Christ or helping people to have healthy whole lives. If that is the measure of what we're trying to do, can you imagine all that shame going away? All of that. We're not focusing on these, these aspects of people's lives. We're focusing on, we're thankful you're here. We're thankful for your heart. And that's all that matters. I love that, Jonathan. And um, I, you're not going to give yourself this credit, but I, I think you were doing the very best you can. It sounds like your heart was doing everything you could to serve a mission. And it's not like you said, okay, this is how I'm going to get out of my mission. I'm going to mess up, or this is how I'm going to turn my back in God. I'm sort of going to intentionally mess up. I just sense this is part of your journey and your heart is actually like it is now, um, trying to do the best you can. Yeah. Um, and that's good for younger people. It's good for all of us to hear. So yeah. thank you. Absolutely. Well, I know that was a little bit longer segment than I, I meant that too, but um, good segment. I don't know if you want to talk through uh, faith journeys or queer wholeness next. What would you like to focus on? You go for it, man. I trust you. Um, I think it's important probably for me to talk about my uh, some faith journeys first, and then we can, that leads to queer wholeness. So. I think part of what I'm wanting to share on the podcast is just to kind of normalize the the beauty in, in the journey, even in in the struggle, even in the trying to figure things out. Um, so I talked a little bit about my my kind of beginnings of my faith journey of just this kind of my the goal wasn't to have faith; the goal was to have certainty. Growing up in everything, um, and I really believe wholeheartedly for the longest time um things started kind of shattering as my the more i started experiencing life and life didn't line up with how kind of pristine the the gospel kind of was i was per perceiving the gospel at the time uh, or how it was being perceived and um my my faith journey really started kind of taking a uh a spiral after um, my heart really broke. Um, I guess this kind of ties into queer wholeness to some extent, but I, um, my wife, uh, in, so let me back up a little bit. Um, a friend of mine invited Del my wife, Delaney and I to go to a, the at, uh, Rise Atlanta Mormons or LGBT plus Mormons and allies um, group up in Atlanta. It's, it's, it's a, um, an organization or, 
um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and, and allies to come and to listen, hear LGBTQ stories and experiences. Um, at this point in my life, I, I had full faith in the family proclamation. I had full faith in the brethren. Um, not that I'm saying that's anything wrong for anyone that, that has that, but at that point, that equaled to me, not LGBTQ allyship. It did not, I didn't, I just was completely against everything at that point. Um, but a friend of ours had seen kind of me transforming over the years and saw that maybe, maybe Jonathan could benefit from this. And she invited us. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go. And my wife turned to me and said, you know, Jonathan, are, why are you wanting to go? Are you wanting to go because you want to love people better? Or are you wanting to go because you're just wanting to, you know, check off a box with your friend? So we ended up going. And for the first day, uh, the, the visitor that flew out was Sunny Smart. Um, she, I know she's been on your podcast. Um, it was the first time in my life that I really sat and listened. Um, really listened and heard things I'd never heard before. And uh, I felt like a fog had kind of fallen from my eyes. And all of a sudden, I could see these beautiful people around me as, as who they are. Um, and I asked a lot of questions that night. Um, and those really beautiful LGBTQ people that were there, they ministered to me. They didn't have to, but they took the time. Even afterwards, Sonny and all of the others went to the back. And I was asking them questions like, I just, I don't understand, you know, the, everything seems so nice. Everything seems so good in the church. Why, how could this be happening? And they said, Jonathan, don't you understand? You're so far up the totem pole from experiencing any of this. You just don't see it. You know, I'm, I'm white, straight, cisgender. You know, I, I, I have the priesthood. I am actively engaged. I, they're like, Jonathan, you just, you don't, you don't see it. And I finally understood. I think it was that very next Sunday I had gone to church and the elders quorum presidency was speaking at church and the topic was on priesthood. So the elders quorum presidency was, presidency was speaking on priesthood and it was three men talking about priesthood keys. And the, for the first time in my life, I was sitting there going, this doesn't apply to women at all. All the women sitting here may not, maybe, maybe feeling like, how does this apply to me? Um, and my heart just broke from LGBTQ siblings um and from that point i just started to say how can i make a difference in some way that's when i started listening to your podcast and started um trying to make a, a difference um but all that nuance really kind of broke my my faith shelf um all of a sudden i couldn't have certainty in things because the facts of reality of history of what has happened in the church what's happening today what happened in the past um, didn't line up with what I had understood. Um, there wasn't a place in the current framework of the church for my LGBTQ family. Um, and it, I just couldn't reconcile a lot of that. Um, and that was really hard. Um, I think it was January of January of 2020 was the first time in my life that I didn't know if God was there anymore. And that was one of the hardest points in my life. Um, Jesus Christ was my friend. He was the only person that really knew me 100%. He was the only person that knew everything that I'd ever done and understood why or why it didn't happen. 
um, and trying to imagine that your best friend that was always there for you, that you always talked to, suddenly may have never existed. It was probably one of the most painful experiences of my life. Um, so I know that this may be kind of maybe difficult for some newer listeners, listeners to hear, but I couldn't find any kind of empathy or, or understanding in, in my typical LDS spheres, because if I were to admit that I didn't know if God was there anymore, that would, that would reveal this, this side of myself that is very much looked down on as I'm disobedient or I'm not faithful enough, or I'm just not doing enough. I mean, I was, I, I was as active in the church as I could possibly be. And this was happening to me. I wasn't trying to make it happen. It was just, it was very difficult. Um, I went to uh, an online space for, for ex-Mormons. And I basically said, I said exactly what I just said to you, Richard, about, I felt like my best friend had gone, it's gone. And I got the most loving empathy and understanding from these people because they know what that, they know what that was like. Um, and they just gave me words of wisdom of, you know, give it, give it time. Don't try to rush this too quickly. You know, your feelings are valid working through these things. Um, I did end up having a spiritual experience after a while. And, um, after this, about a week after I did have a really powerful spiritual experience that kind of brought me to kind of an atheist kind of, I, I believe that God's there uh, in some way. I, I don't know all the details or how this all works, but if God is there for me, God loves everybody. And I want to be like that. Um, so I am in the church. I am trying to make a difference in some way. I don't see things the same way that I used to. I don't agree with a lot of things like I used to. But I know that there are people that are hurting right now. There are people that are suffering in the church and society from just not being understood, from not having a voice or a seat at the table, when that table was never never meant for them not to be at. Um, and I'm just trying to say, hey, there are people that, that need to be heard. There need people that need to be accepted. Not only accepted, there's people here that need to be able to lead and from their own perspective and viewpoints. Um, so I, I know that's kind of a, a little hodgepodge of, of a little bit of my faith journey, but I, uh, I find I have the most spiritual experiences now when I'm trying to help other people have their needs met. That's cool. Um, so that's, that's kind of my little faith journey there. <laughs> and I realized that could be a 60 minute topic podcast that you just condensed into 10 minutes. Um, thank, I just thank you for being so honest with just your journey and your journey is a little bit like mine. Um, where I connected as a YSA bishop with a couple of gay men and I just was willing to listen to their story. And I recognized for the first time the complexity of their road and how their road's so different than I, my road was at their age. And 
my heart just kind of broke for them. And as I read more stories and connected with more people, uh, my heart, like your heart, just broke for them and and recognized the complexity of their situation and recognized that they don't, you know, have the full opportunities that I do. I don't live in this double bind between uh, my sexuality and my journey in the church when I was dating, and you didn't either. <laughs> we didn't have to deal with that. and. We recognize how difficult that is after you listen to stories, and then it creates a feeling of, you know, the church not fully meeting the needs of LGBTQ members, and what does that all mean? And you have to live with the dissidence of that and decide, are you going to be in or are you going to be out? And, uh, you know, listeners, I found a way to stay authentically, and um, but I rec- recognize that that doesn't work for everybody. We've had, um, and we're trying in this podcast to um, sort of affirm people's individual journeys and try to bring us together as the same human family. This isn't an overly agenda podcast where we're trying to keep everybody in the church or ask everybody to leave, but we're trying to, I like Elder Cook's quote, unity and diversity. I think we can still be diverse in our feelings about the church and about just and be unified in our love for each other and support for each other, individual journeys and respect everybody as they're making their best way forward, not be threatened by that. And hopefully those people extend the grace back to everybody else for their individual journeys. But what you've gone through is really tough. Um, And for those that are listening that are going through that or have gone through that, it's not easy. And it's something that most Latter-day Saints don't particularly want to do. Um, and it's not something they say, okay, this is now what I want to do as part of my journey. But sometimes it can lead to beautiful ways of connecting with people and healing and bringing hope and perspective that were never possible without this experience. And I know you're doing that, Jonathan, and it doesn't maybe show up in your LDS tools calling or something you can share broadly in church because you're connecting with people in a very unique way um, and helping them in a very unique way. What it's helped me a lot with, uh, Richard, is, you know, when you, when that kind of layer of certainty goes away, um, for me, when it went away for me, um, I'm not, when I talk to someone that's brand new, the first thought that comes to my mind isn't, what do I, how can I convince them to join the church? Or how can I convince them to come to church with me or to read the Book of Mormon? Um, the first thought isn't, well, the way that they're living or the way that their circumstances they're in is because of they're not living the gospel. If only they could be living the gospel. Like those thoughts don't come to my mind anymore. The thoughts come to my mind is I want to get to know this person for who they are. I want to know about their journey and experiences. What does God mean to them? What, what, what equals joy and goodness in their lives? And because that's going to make, that's going to not only help me to understand them better, but it's going to help me to love them better. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest thing for me is like, I don't, I no longer look at anyone and think that they're wrong. Um, whether they're in the church or out of the church, I, that, to me, that that's, I don't have any kind of, that doesn't make any difference to me. To me is that, are you, are you kind? Are you loving? Or are you in, or are you trying, you trying, you trying what you can with the, the circumstances that you're in? you know, and trying to understand, even if they're not able to, why, why, what can I do to understand and to help? Um, 
So anyway, that's just some of my thoughts there. It's, it's made a, a difference. I love that. Yeah, keep sharing. I just want you to keep talking, Jonathan. You've got great stuff that our listeners need to hear. Yeah, a lo- just a little bit more in the faith journey. So for those that um, may be coming new into the podcast, um, it's important that when someone's going through a faith crisis or a faith transition, it's important that they have someone that they can trust, that they can talk to. Um, it was difficult for me because I didn't really have a whole lot of people at the time. Um, unbeknownst to myself, uh, so my oldest brother, Trace Rogers, uh, I, hopefully he'll be okay with me sharing a little bit about this. He's, he shared publicly a few things. Um, he had gone through a faith crisis about 14 years ago. And at that point, there really wasn't anyone to go and talk to. There wasn't really much many spaces on the internet for, to talk to anyone that was kind of going through a faith crisis. The church really didn't have the resources at all at that point to really have any kind of empathy or understanding about this space. And it was really hard for him because the things that he had found out, he went from being a totally faith-believing elders corn president to being uh, basically agnostic within like two days uh, of kind wow. of learning about some things because he kind of grew up with kind of a lot of the same things I did in terms of like this certainty principle, right? Your certainty is broken. All of a sudden, everything falls apart. And um, he was very alone for a long time. And he's gotten to a very good place in his life um, with his faith journey. But when I went through my journey, he was there. He was there to catch me. He was there to just say, whatever you're going through right now, I want to honor your journey. Your journey is going to be different than mine. And I just want you to know I love you and I'm here for you. And whatever decision you make however direction you feel like you need to go i'm there and i want to be there here to listen and to be with you and i needed that because i didn't have that i couldn't go to my i could barely go to my family because i just all that shame of not meeting expectations not not being worthy enough i you know i'd already not gone on a mission i'd already not you know there's all these different things in my life that i didn't i constantly been feeling i didn't meet up to and um there was a it he said when I got to a place of stability, he said, what you've been able to accomplish in a handful of months of like really feeling kind of at peace with where you're at. He said, it took me years because I didn't have resources. I didn't have anyone to talk to. And so it's kind of like that. Everyone needs someone that they can go to that when they talk to them, they're just willing to listen, to understand. They're not there to cast any judgment or to make any kind of proclamations of what they need to do to fix this, you know, um, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of put that out there that I would be uh, remiss not to mention my brother and and all he's done for me. Trace is a good man. I've connected with him and what a, what a tribute to Trace and the things he, the words he used for you, you know, I'm here for you. I'll catch you. I think you said that. I'll be, that's so helpful. Um, I recognize listeners, a lot of people want to talk in a faithful way about how they're feeling and there aren't really good resources in the church. They don't know who to talk to. So I think culturally we need to create cultures in our congregations, in our family that somehow communicate we're safe. And even in a talk or a bishop or a local leader saying, even if they don't feel they're in a faith crisis, say just if you are um, and create no shame around that. So that's, you know, something that 
we're not ashamed of in this ward. <laughs> and you can talk to me about that. And if others open up about that, we want this ward to be a safe place. So I think culturally we can do some things. I recognize that there's groups that have left the church that could talk to you about how you're feeling. And some of those are actually healing to you and helpful. You mentioned one, but I think we need to find places in the church where people can process. And I'm glad you found Trace and and you're doing it for others. And we recognize that some people ultimately feel their best path forward is not is to separate themselves from the church. And and we just trust, I'm speaking for both of us, if you're okay, Jonathan, we just trust them to make their best way forward and and love them and don't worry about them and just say our job is to just love them and walk with them and support them. Yeah. So that's a really good segment. Um, keep talking. Uh, thanks, Richard. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess the last kind of segment I wanted to to cover is, is queer wholeness. Um, so this is an area that I feel is kind of, it, this is an area I think is really important. Um, I know that in a lot of your, a lot of your, so many of your podcasts, I mean, you've really held space for just some of the, the most heartbreaking stories. Um, I, many of these stories, many of these people, I feel like I've, uh, they're good friends of mine just because of how many times I've listened to them and, and really heard their story. Um, shout out to uh, Michael Seacrest. Uh, I, I hope I can meet him at some point, but I did, it was nice to friend him on Facebook. But um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, for being honest and open and sharing their stories. Um, I, it really is important to be able to hear. Um, so while we talk about a lot of the challenges and that queer individuals go through in the church, um, one of the things that I, I'm not LGBTQ, so I'm not here to, to talk about um, you know, what any queer person should do. That's not what I'm going to be saying at all. But I do think that there's, it's for me, where I'm at in my journey right now is I want to promote queer wholeness. Um, and going back to that, understanding feelings and needs. It So let's just say for whatever reason, Richard, you and I had a disagreement on something. And let's just say that for whatever reason, it caused tension between us. If we're able to change what we're wanting the other person to do to what feeling what needs are not being met and then our goal is for both of us to have our needs met then we can come to a, we can come to an understanding and say you know we can meet both of our needs you know by just by understanding what we're both going through and i i feel like that that relationship is what needs to be happening right now in the church is that every human, every human has very basic needs. We have a need for food. We have a need for autonomy. We have a need for, uh, for connection and, and love. And there's, there's so many different things we have, a, we have a, need, a basic human need for. And if we're focusing on wholeness of individuals, then that will include all of the basics of necessities of life, which includes relationships, which includes family, which includes lots of different things. And so from where I'm at in my life on my journey for LGBTQ allyship is um, whatever space I'm in, for me personally, a, a same-sex marriage is whole for me. It's wholeness. It's beauty. Um, a, a trans individual that 
is being, you know, presenting and being who they are. We honor that. We it's it's queer wholeness of that person. We honor that person of where they're at. Um, and we trust that that is their lived reality. Um, if we were to focus on what can I do to help meet your needs as our goal, then we don't need to change doctrine or beliefs or anything. If the doctrine is to love God and love our neighbor and to care for the, the poor and the needy and to liberate the captives, right? We're trying to meet needs of God's children on earth. And so then we, it's, it gives us a chance to take a step backwards and say, is anything that I'm believing right now reducing the needs of others from being met or preventing them from being met? What needs of mine do, what needs do I have met in my life that others don't and why? And then focusing on that. And so these are some questions or some thoughts that like I am trying to move forward with in my life. I'm not trying to focus on what the church, um, I'm not trying to be negative of, I guess you could say, no, let me, let me change the way I'm looking at this. I'm just trying to focus on, instead of feeling like anyone is being attacked, like if, it, if it's a church leader or if it is uh, someone that feels very faithful towards the church and feeling like, hey, if I'm, I would be giving up my beliefs for this, if they're able to take a step back and say, my beliefs are, don't have to be hurt by this because this is, I'm not really describing it the way I'd like to be able to describe this. Um, You're doing good. But um, it, it's more of focusing on the needs of the human family is really where I'm trying to get at with this. And that's great. It simplifies everything for me. Um, it simplifies anything in society um, right now with the racial prejudice that's happening in our country of um, the wars around the world, um, poverty, um, migrants, and just where are the needs at and how can we meet those needs? You know, if people are, are depressed and having suicidal thoughts, what needs are not being met, whether it's chemically or, you know, physically or emotionally. Um, if we have members not going to church, if the very first thing we should be thinking of is what needs are not being met, not are they not reading the scriptures? Are they not praying? Are they not going to the temple enough? It's what needs are not being met in their life. Do they feel connection? Do they feel love? Do they have the, enough food in their house? Do they have enough time for sleep? Do they have connection with their kids? You know, do they not have a, a support from their parents? Do they have a, a loved one that's ill? When we just focus on the needs that are not being met in people's lives as the forefront of any challenge or difficulty we may have, I think we can find solutions very quickly. We can find revelation very quickly. If we focus on those needs, um, that's, that's kind of where I, I definitely want to focus more of my time and attention on. That's a beautiful segment, Jonathan. And I think of 
the time I, when it was called the home teaching, taught an inactive member of our ward. And we kind of went through the motions. We, he, he let me in. We kind of chit-chatted. We talked about safe things like his career, my career. But I didn't have the skills to do what you just invited us all to do, was to sort of address the elephant in the room. And with the hypothesis that there was a need that this good man had that was not being met, by his faith community, and what was that? Mm-hmm. And um, I've certainly realized that a lot of people sort of want to stay in the church, but and don't have a doctrinal issue, but often their needs are not being met there. And the and some of and there's just lot. And I think it takes what you're doing and what this podcast is trying to do is just listen to people. Don't see them as projects. Don't see them as rescue. Don't just you know, if, if you're really going to minister to somebody, you've got to go and ask open-ended questions, develop a relationship of trust that will open up, and be prepared to hear things that might be a little difficult and cause us to look inward of what we could do better to meet people's needs. Um, some people don't feel heard. They they never feel like their point of view, they're, they never feel heard. They don't have a feeling of belonging or a feeling that they're part of that they're needed to contribute. I worry that even with two-hour church, that less members have a chance to participate and connect and be vulnerable and honest and find a a real honest connection at church and um, that a lot of people need um, connection. We're wired for connection. We're wired for community. And so I think that is just really golden segment and I love queer wholeness I just love I've no one's ever used that term I'm aware of before I assume it's a term that's out there but I love I love the word wholeness and doing I think you know doing things we can do to first see queer people as whole and the way God made them and to do everything we can to support them and I I love your honesty about same-sex marriage and just letting I think what you're saying is each queer person decide their best path forward and our job um, is to help them make their best path forward. And and that's not selling out our doctrine in our church. I think it's just what you said is we love and we support. And I don't think that if we support people in their individual paths, that that is displeasing to God. I think that we sometimes create this false dichotomy that to fully love God, we have to stop loving some of his children. And I think... I think he's the happiest when we love people that are even different than us and are on different paths and we don't create this divisiveness and this bomb throwing between two sides. So I'm putting words out there that you may or may not agree with. I don't want to say anything that you're not comfortable with, but I really love what you said. If I'm articulating that, okay. Well, no, I think it's, it's great. Um, one of a couple of thoughts on, on a couple of things that you, you said were, um, I, I know I didn't, I emphasize queer wholeness, but I didn't really talk a whole lot into the, into queer wholeness. Um, maybe that I, I wanted to, or meant Good. to, but, um, from, from kind of my perspective where, I, where I'm at, like, I, you know, I, I love that you've had a, a few podcasts, uh, guests come on to talk about the research that they're doing to understand, you know, suicidality in Utah among youth. Um, to understand, you know, uh, LGBTQ individuals in the church and what their journeys are like. Um, you know, when we, when we know better, we do better. And so when I think of queer wholeness, 
I think of what do we need to be doing to meet the needs, the whole needs of queer folks. And for, I'm not going to speak on behalf of all queer people, but like, I would say a majority of queer folks need the same needs that any heterosexual person would need. And and so if the challenges of suicidality and and self-harm and and other things are being caused because they don't feel like they can be in a relationship or they don't feel like they can be themselves in public authentically or with their family. Queer wholeness is promoting wholeness. It's not trying to prevent suicidality or prevent it. It's to promote the, the wholeness of their lives, of their relationships, of uh, being able to adopt, being able to. And so and I know that that isn't what the church is teaching or, or promoting. Um, for me, I see it as what needs are not being met and how can we meet them? So I understand that that's going to just be something that every person on the, on the podcast will have to kind of come to their own reconciliation with. But for me, that that's brought a lot of peace for me to be in that space. Um, a lot of people, you know, allies, sometimes people will say, you know, if you're a real ally, you'll leave the church and you're not being helpful to me being in the church. Um, some al- some people that are queer will say, please be in the church. It's helpful to have allies in the church. Um, you've probably heard those two things said to you multiple times over and over again. And um, I don't know if, if you want to address that. There may be allies listening, thinking, well, I'd like to stay in the church, but am I really harming queer people by staying in the church? Or I'd, would it be better if I left the church? And would that be better for queer people? Or I don't know if you want to address just how you're navigating that, Jonathan. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that's uh, talk about elephant in the room there. <laughs> uh, and I realize you don't want to say anything that that angers anybody. So you're so you're such a bridge builder. I don't want to put you in a spot that you feel like you're dividing well, anybody. You know, that's just like what we were talking about before, Richard, about, you know, that the anger, there's a need there, right? I think that there's a lot of anger because there's a lot of needs that haven't been met by a lot of people. People that have been harmed and and hurt. The church wasn't there for them. So that was... Who am I to judge another? And I walk in perfectly. Not that LGBTQ people aren't walking in perfectly, but it's it's the idea of I just wish that we would take the time to really listen and understand. I think a lot of the anger and, and the hurt, there's a lot of justified anger and hurt. Um, I, I'm not here to, uh, to say, I'm not here to put myself on any kind of of pedestal. I'm just here to try to do what I can. And my job is to keep learning as an ally and to keep listening and to keep trying to do better. Um, and probably the most powerful thing you could do as an ally is 
to not justify and and to be willing to to acknowledge the truth of of realities that people have gone through in the past and in, and today um and and being someone that was very wise that I that I consider a really good friend said that one of the biggest things that was important for him is to be able to speak to someone to to speak truth to them without dehumanizing them or or making them feel like less than in any way but to just speak openly and honestly and to not try not to speak to people where you think they're at you know where you try to like maybe soften the blow or just to make it less like less maybe hurtful for them but instead you kind of take away the any kind of judgment or any kind of accusations and just speak truthfully to them and that's kind of where i was going around like the research that you've been able to bring on your podcast to really hear it's hard to hear the realities of what people have gone through but when we know better we do better um and so i guess that's that's all i'll say on that but that i hope that that uh that's helps. very helpful um listeners this is you know we're kind of coming to the close and i just recognize like a lot of you that are allies have a heart like jonathan's heart you're just wanting to do the very best you can to support our lgbtq friends and there's allies in all different spaces trying to do that um i think as talking to allies i think we need to support each other in our individual spaces um in the sense that hopefully we're doing the best we can to is hopefully we're unified in amplifying the voices of our LGBTQ friends and honoring their individual journeys. And that's maybe the common glue that brings us together as allies, but it's not about allies. I think Jonathan and I are pretty clear about that, even though you've got two of us on today's podcast, it's about um, what we can use with our privilege to amplify and support and and for me, the doctrinal foundation of that is the life of Christ and and the teachings of the New Testament and and in our modern day scriptures of just um those that have a harder road, our baptism covenants are to mourn, bear, and comfort. And I can sense that that's where John's ministry is focused on. And he is, you know, the foundation for that is the doctrine of Christ. Um and um so it's just a complicated space. Um, I asked Jonathan to be on the podcast, listeners. I've just, you know, I felt an impression that Jonathan's story would be helpful for me. It has been for you. I hope it has been. Um, he is really doing brave, courageous work as a moderator of Mormons Building Bridges. And um, and I John doesn't want to be complicated, complimented here, but um, I think it, it's just, somebody that's really cares about bringing us together as the same human family and redu reducing divisiveness and, and bringing hope and healing. And, um, I think it's an example for all of us. If you're LGBTQ that are listening, our hope is this podcast is be helpful for you. Um, as you're making your way forward and figure, feel there's people in your court that love you and support you and see you as best we can in your unique journey. So I'll turn it back to you, Jonathan, for any last comments. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, speaking of Christ, um, 
my uh, my sister gave a talk in church recently, and there was a segment in there that that really touched me, um, where you know one of our our baptismal covenants is that we we take upon ourselves the name of Christ, and you know that we commit to try to remember Him and follow Him, and you know we we go to church and we read the scriptures and we we try to learn more about Him. Um, and my sister said in her talk, if we're all trying to take upon ourselves the name of Christ, then each of us are trying to, to be like Christ. Each of us have become part of Christ. And so if we want to learn about Christ, we need to learn about each other. And we don't need to learn about the fake parts of ourselves that we bring to church, our putting on the mask and not bringing our whole selves of who we are. If we want to learn about Christ and take upon ourselves the name of Christ, we need to be really who we are, our vulnerable, honest, true selves, and be loved as ourselves. And that kind of brings me to a, a quote by uh, Rain Dove. It's probably my favorite, my favorite quote. Um, Rain Dove is a non-binary activist. Um, Rain Dove says, it's, it's easier to love ourselves when we feel loved as ourselves, no matter where we are on our paths. And uh, I think that's kind of where I want to end my uh, my thoughts. It's easier to love ourselves when we feel loved as ourselves, no matter where we are on our paths. And uh, I can leave quote. that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love that. What a great closing segment. That was just terrific. Love that quote and love your closing segment. So, listeners, thank you for joining um, in and hearing another story. Grateful for Jonathan Rogers, my friend, sharing his story from... Georgia via Zoom, and this is Richard and Jonathan signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>